So love your enemies is where we are tonight in the Gospel of Luke. Let's talk about that for a minute. It's hard, isn't it? But before we get there, let me ask you this. Have you got a Lumini whiteboard on the end of your row? I'm sorry. We somehow, we ran out. They were stolen, but I will not ask or demand them back. That, did you, that was a reference to the passage. Did you get that? That was segue clever. Okay. So you can shout out, you know. We can do that. I'm going to give you the name of a hero and a protagonist, and you give me the villain, or one of the possible villains, okay? Just try and be first. So if I say to you, Batman? <laughs> so, yes, Joker. Was it the same time? Same time as Jack over there. That was good, that was good. Wendy, what did you say? <laughs> Robin is not an enemy. Um, there we are, fantastic, okay. If I say to you, Superman? Well, kryptonite is not really a Lex Luthor. Yes, that's more like, I mean, kryptonite is a thing that Lex Luthor would use against Superman. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. If I say to you, Doctor Strange, very difficult now. Nobody? Wow. Bro, no? No, you don't know. Uh, well, I mean, okay. Yeah, Stenos. Yeah, you can say that. You can say that. Uh, if you want to be true to the movie, Kaikilius. Okay, but there we are. Um, that's Mads Mikkelsen, right? Because he's the evil Scandinavian villain in every movie nowadays. But the, I love Scandinavia. Frodo? Frodo? Plenty to choose from there. Ooh, I think you were... Sauron. Sauron. Yes? There we go. Now, last one. In the book by Roald Dahl, the book called Matilda, we have Matilda. Give me a villain. Ooh, nice one, Sue. Yes, look at this. Beat all the children. <laughs> yes, there we go. Ooh, the parents. Yes, they are the Wormwoods, aren't they? And Miss Trunchbull right over there, evil person. Okay, get ready for this, this one now. You don't need to shout out. Arch enemy, you. What about your arch enemy? Do you have one? Do you, do you have any enemies at all? Satan. Ooh, yes. That's, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Ooh, ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry? Sin. Yes, absolutely. Spot on. Now, here's the thing. When we think about enemies, and we think, I mean, that was very, those are very, very good answers there. Okay, the flesh. That's pretty good. When we think about enemies in terms of people, like what Jesus is referring to here in this passage. Well, I've asked at least three people today. I said, have you got any enemies? And they said, I mean, I've got some people, maybe they don't like me or some of the things that I don't do. I wouldn't consider them enemies, and I don't think they would consider me their enemy. And so these words are sometimes lost on us, aren't they? When Jesus says, love your enemies, we've got to ask, do you have enemies? I'm going to suggest that you do. Before I tell you why, look at verse 27. And I'm sorry I sabotaged the reader by uh, asking you to read beyond verse 36, but we're going to stick with until verse 36. So look at that. Jesus says, but to you, verse 27, who are listening, I say. He's just been talking in the Beatitudes or the Sermon on the Plain um, or the Sermon on the Mount in Luke here 
about how you can be in the category of the blessed. You are a citizen of the kingdom. You belong to Jesus, and he's transforming your heart, and you're becoming someone more like him. Or you can be in the cursed. And we read Deuteronomy and talked about that in the Old Testament. You can listen to that if you missed it last week. And here Jesus is saying, if you are actually part of those who are listening to obey, then here is some more about what it means to be a part of my kingdom. Let's talk about that tonight. What do these have in common? We got here an ancient Egyptian uh, papyrus that reads, that which you hate to be done to you, do not do to another. Does that sound familiar? Pre-Jesus, as our um, secular friends often like to point out. In the Mahabharata, the Indian holy book, uh, sorry, the Hindu holy book, one should never do something to others that one would regard as an injury to one's own self. Lots of ones in that sentence, isn't there? How about here? Thales of Mileto, uh, uh, Thales of Miletus, avoid doing what you would blame others for doing. All these people before Jesus. Do you notice anything in common in all of those? There are a few things. They've all come to be known as the golden rule. All before Jesus. But almost all of the examples I could find from the golden rule before Jesus are in the negative. Don't do. And then Jesus comes along and look at it. Look at it in our passage. Amazing. Verse 31. Do to others as you would have them do to you. It's one thing to try and figure out what not to do to my enemy and to say at the end of the day, I didn't kill her. I didn't kill him. I've been a good boy. It's a lot harder to come to the end of the day and say, have I done good to them? Have I loved them in the way that I would have liked to be loved? That's a lot harder, isn't it? Jesus is so beyond just an easy do this so that you can feel good about yourself. Amazing. Tonight's challenge for us, that's just a, a snippet, is to love as Jesus loves, if you belong to him. And here's how we're going to look at it. This love, this love your enemies, this kind of love is a distinctive love. It's a rewarding love. That's going to be our shortest one. We're going to spend more of our time in the distinction. And it's a reflecting love. So let's talk about this distinctive love that sets people apart. What is it that sets you apart from other people? I wonder if you've thought about that. You are you, nobody else is you. You often like to be different. You like to be different here because all of you are wearing different clothes, for example. And you might be mortified if you all bought a piece of clothing from the same shop. I once arrived at work in my previous church dressed in the middle class standard issue of the checkered shirt that my boss was also wearing. And so it seemed like a uniform, but um, that didn't set me apart. Perhaps like teenage Tiago, you would have thought, it's my eyeliner because I'm an emo teenager from that age until I grew up and discovered that all of those who belong to the emo category also looked like me. So that didn't really set me apart. I wonder what you think sets you apart from just belonging in another tribe. Or better even, if you're speaking of a distinctive love, what is it that sets you apart as a child of God? And Jesus suggests to us that it's the way 
that the children of God love in a way that those who are not children of God don't love. We're used to hearing something like, love people who like you. Perhaps even you might have been an ancient Israelite at the time of Jesus, used to reading this verse in Leviticus 19 that you would know Jesus is quoting from and adding to when he gives the summary of all the law. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Loving your own people, we can connect with that and we can understand that. Loving another Brazilian I meet in Chesterfield, I can connect with that. Loving those who love us, who belong to us, who are associated with us. But loving enemies, that's hard. And yet, before you kind of think to yourself, this is a Jesus thing in the New Testament and not a God of the Old Testament thing. Listen to this in Exodus 23. I don't know if I put it on there or not. If you come across your enemy's ox or donkey wandering off, be sure to return it. If you see the donkey of someone who hates you falling down under its load, do not leave it there. Be sure you help them with it. So the God of the Old Testament was already able to say to his people, love your enemies, but Jesus now summarizes the heart of God in a way that they were not expecting. And this love is distinctive. It sets Christians apart because, I'm going to give you a few reasons. One is that this kind of love is a distinctive love because it's for enemies. Now, how do you understand that if you don't have enemies? If you couldn't point to the person at school, at work, in your neighborhood who is an enemy. Some of you can. Some exceptional circumstances where people really work against you to harm you because of your faith. But I would say that there is this principle of the greater to the lesser. So if you're supposed to love an enemy, then what does that say about all of the other people over here that we have tension with, that perhaps don't like us for some decision that we did to honor God? Well, it says that we should love them too. So when you read enemies, think of all of those that God is calling you to love that you would want to avoid, that you would want to laugh at their misfortune. But one thing is for sure, you can't avoid having enemies. Not if you belong to Jesus. Listen to this, John 15, 20. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. 2 Timothy 3, verse 12, one of those great vo uh, verses for your memory boxes that you can have in your dinner table, pull them out, memorize them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 1 John 3, 13, don't be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. So in the course of your listening to Jesus and obeying him, you're going to irk some people at least some of the time. And that's okay when that happens. When there are enemies for you to love, that's okay. The preacher John Piper challenges us when he says, hey, if you don't have enemies, maybe your godliness is not showing very well. That's a challenge to me. But I would extend that to say following Jesus is going to produce some friction, some tension, in relationships from time to time at the very least. And when it does, our enemies are the people that we want to love, that we have tension with because we've obeyed Jesus. So this love is for enemies. This love is distinctive because it's something that takes our all. 
That's pretty crazy when you think about it. And it needs God's help. Because when we love enemies, we love them with our actions. Look at it in a passage. What do you do? You do good to those who hate you. What do you do with your hands? You do good to them. What do you do with your mouth? You bless them, even though they curse you. So do good to those who hate you out of love. It's got to be out of love because they haven't done anything to inspire you to love them back, right? They've only given you hate. This kind of love astounds me because it's a love that can't be stopped, isn't it? Because if they haven't done anything for you to love them in the first place, well, now all of the hate that they give you can't stop you reflecting the love of God to them, can it? It's not determined, as Andy said actually this morning in the book of Philippians, if our joy isn't determined by our circumstances, if our contentment isn't determined by our circumstances, then the love that we have for others isn't determined by our circumstances either and by how much they repay us or not. So it's a love that loves in action, and it's a love that loves in attitude. This is, this is what's so hard, isn't it? Um, if you've ever been in love, you're going to connect with what I'm going to say right now. How often, when you were in love, would you think about the other person? I mean, pretty frequently, right? You open your eyes and you go, I want to kiss her. You know? What? Or if you're keeping it holy, you want to hold a hand. Let's be Christian. Whatever. You know, I, I, I told you before that I serenaded Megan with my guitar outside of her flat at Bible College and sang songs of not in tune love to her. There's the moment where you're speaking on the phone, you know, it's late at night, and uh, our generation does this. Your gener- kids, you do this, don't you, for phone, it's just simple. Um, no, you hang up. <laughs> no, you hang up. No, you hang up. You know, so you're thinking about them. No, where am I going with this? Here's what came to me as I was preparing and thinking about this. Read verse 28 with me again. Bless those who curse you. Pray, pray for those who ill-treat you. You often pray when you're alone. You often pray when you're not in the presence of your enemy. You are thinking about your enemy, the person that you have tension with, when you're not even with them. They are on your mind, and you are bringing them and their wrongdoing before God's throne so that you may bless them. That's a crazy thought. We want to avoid and forget those who hurt us. Jesus is saying, keep them in your mind so much that you pray for them, despite the fact that they ill-treat you. So this goes beyond, just don't kill them. Don't do anything to them. It's way beyond. This is positive. Love your enemies says that we've got to want the very best for them and often think of them in our prayers so they're on our minds. That's distinctive. I don't really know other religions that say this kind of stuff. That's why we don't like it when Jesus says it. I struggle to do this. As you know, for the longest time, when I think about the things that have happened in my life, I might find it hard. I've I've never again, since I've grown up, met the guy who sexually abused me when I was a child. But I have loved him in my prayers, even though I may never meet him again. Think about this. There are countless stories 
of Christians who have gone on a journey to be like their Savior, to love their enemies, people who forgive the most outrageous things and seek the good of those that harm them. Like this lady right here, I'm going to show you a video of. Her name is Maria Nisi, a Brazilian lady. And she is in the video that we're going to show that you're not going to understand because it's in Portuguese. Forgiving her son's killer. She speaks to the boy and the video begins when she says, Look at me. You can turn the volume down a little bit as I translate it. And she says, look at me. You are forgiven in Jesus' name. I'm a Christian and I am forgiving you. Look at her expression. I will keep praying for you, Alison. I'm never going to visit you because I'm not brave enough to go there. But look at me. I will be praying for you. And you are going to discover, she says, the God that I serve. And you are going to serve him, you see. I don't have a drop of hate for you, Alison. I only pray for you every day. I waited this whole year, Alison, this whole year to say this to you. From the day when I knew that Danielle was dead and that it was Alison, I didn't know you when I said, Lord, take care of him. Today I'm sad for you because you killed another person. I'm sad. Look at me, Alison, she says. You need to look at me. You didn't allow me. You didn't give me the chance to look into my son's eyes before he died, before, because you killed him before I could see him. And you know that Daniel wasn't a bad kid. You know how good he was, hardworking, but now I'm here. I am going to keep praying for you. And she starts praying. Lord, be with Alison wherever he goes, Lord. Don't let him go for even a moment from your hands, Lord. Touch his soul just as you touched mine. Comfort his mother because she must be suffering as much as I am. I thank you for everything in Jesus' name. Amen. Isn't that nuts? That someone would be able to love an enemy like this? And pray for them while with them. This seems impossible, utterly impossible when I look at myself. But what we've just watched and what I've narrated to you begins to make sense when I look at my God. When I look at my God. That's why this love is Christ's love. You guys help me with the slides. Has God done this? The most annoying thing that I would find in my workplace when I was um, an English teacher in Brazil is if my boss asked me to do something that he or she would never do. Like, isn't that the most annoying thing? A boss might say, just sort this out. It's easy. Why don't you do it? They never do it. And that would be the source of great frustration, right? Here, when Jesus says, love your enemies, has he done this? In Colossians chapter 1, verse 21, it says, we were his enemies. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Has God, look at the passage, done good to his haters? Look at verse 17 and 18. He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there, a great number of people. Verse 18, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured. And the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. This is what I find fascinating. Some of these people, at the end of the Gospel of Luke, would be shouting, Crucify him! 
And even those who weren't shouting would be part of the group of people who abandoned Jesus. And here, he knows all this stuff, but he's healing them. Has God blessed those who cursed him? You remember a soul of Tarsus there holding the coats of those who are murdering Stephen in Acts and yet later loved into the kingdom, becomes the Apostle Paul. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 um, say this, Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, of curse, but because of his great love. God is rich in mercy, made us alive. Has God prayed for those who ill-treated him? In John chapter 17, Jesus prays for people who don't even exist or believe yet. Amazing. Even though our sin today, brother, sister, if you belong to Jesus, our sin still hurts his heart, grieves his Holy Spirit, and yet he prayed for us. I may have told you that I was at summer camp one, uh, one summer, and this young person was very distressed and uh, isolated himself from the rest of the group because he said, people have been spreading lies about me, and they won't even speak to me. So I'm going to be here, just going to hate on them. And I said, okay, amongst many things that I said, I said, just before I say much more, can I just ask you, and I hope you won't, you'll be okay with this, but are you a Christian? Would you say that you are someone who loves Jesus? And they said, yes, I am. I said, what were you like describing the Bible before you knew Jesus? This is God's enemy. I deserve. What did you deserve? Eternal punishment. How did God treat you? He loved me. How ought you to treat these people, even if it's true that they told lies about you? Because you love them. Can we pray? <laughs> yes, let's pray. And so that makes me want to ask you and ask myself, who is maybe God calling you now to love like this? What enemies are there for you to love? And what do you find harder? To love in action, to do something, to do good to others? Or perhaps to use your tongue not to gossip about them, not to tarnish their reputation with truth or lies, but instead to have the attitude of thinking, what is the nicest thing I would want to happen? I'm going to do that to them. That is Christ-like because that's how God has been with us. So here's why that love is distinctive. It's for enemies. It takes our all. It's in action and attitude. It's Christ-like. We've seen how God has done it. And yet, it's completely foreign to the world. It's the kind of love that Jesus says, even sinners in our passage, they don't do that. They don't do this kind of stuff. It makes people sort of scratch their heads a little bit. Okay? Here's what I mean. Who here this evening has ever been, this might be a surprise for many of us, Ever been in a fight? Anybody ever been in a fight? <laughs> One of the elders of the church. <laughs> One of the previous elders of the church. So good. Yes, okay. Oh, one of my own people. Yeah. Now, did your fight involve a slap? <laughs> yeah, for the cat fights. Yeah, that can be a little bit, uh, you know. What's interesting is, when we think of fighting, when I think of, I don't know, in a UFC tournament, a mixed martial arts tournament, 
what I'm not expecting to see is massive blows. You know, come around. I'm not expecting that. That's not what I'm expecting. I'm expecting, you hit him in the nuts, whatever. You know what I mean? Punch, nose, face, Mike Tyson biting the ear off of Evander Holyfield or something like that. I'm not expecting a cheeky little slap. I'm not expecting this. Hang on. I'm not going to punch anybody. <laughs> In case you're wondering at home, right? Here's what I'm not expecting. I'm not expecting. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> Why? Because this is humiliating. It's not about the harm, is it? And in a similar way, as we read verse 29 again, Jesus begins to give us examples of what this distinctive love looks like. And this is a clue. Look at it with me. If someone slaps you, not punches you, on one cheek, turn to them the other also. Now, we're not going to have time to talk about all of these examples in great detail, but I just think to myself, there must be a reason. I'm not a Greek scholar. There must be a reason why most translations I was able to look up in English language this afternoon translate this as a slap on the cheek as opposed to a punch, even though there is one of them that would. One of the reasons why scholars give for this is that this slap is about humiliating someone. It's about just really making them appear of no reputation, an underling, a nobody. That's what the glove slap is meant to do. And in the context here, we find that this is happening because there are enemies of Jesus. And Jesus says, this is an opportunity for us to not only expect that kind of derisive comment or persecution, that kind of humiliation, but to actually not seek revenge. It doesn't mean, though, I don't think, that we never seek justice or that we never seek our rights. Because you remember in Acts uh, chapter 16, Paul says, I'm a Roman citizen and I'm going to assert my rights. It's for you to pray with God about what that means for your situation and ask perhaps the elders of the church to help you. But it's really shocking that Jesus isn't just saying, hey, sometimes you're going to be humiliated because you associate with me. Just don't do nothing. Jesus isn't just saying that. He is saying, I will offer, you hit me here, I will offer, I will invite more pain by saying, for the love of Jesus, I am able to take more humiliation for his name's sake. kind of love doesn't make sense for anybody else if they don't so honor and love and cherish Jesus that they are willing to take a punch in the gut for him. That's one example. Another example is in the second half of that verse. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. And other translations might say, give to everyone who demands from you. And what begins to happen is that what looks like robbery Someone stealing your coat becomes generosity, giving them your shirt. That's unexpected, isn't it? It's as unexpected as this. I mean, you know that scene from the movie? From the musical. Nobody? 
Come on. Yes, it's Jean Valjean there, isn't it? You remember the scene? The police catch him and they come in and they say, Monseigneur, we have your silver. He had the nerve to say, you gave him the silver. And the Monseigneur says, that is right. But my friend, you left so early. I want to break out in song, but I'll spare you. I'll spare you right now. (laughs) Surely something slipped your mind. You know, you forgot I gave these also. Would you leave the best behind? But now he says, this deed that I have done, this your robbery that I've turned into generosity, remember this, it's going to change you. And the hope as we love our enemies, as we love those who are very difficult because we are Christians, is that this kind of love that is foreign to the world would make people go, I really want to be like that. How can you possibly, as Andy said this morning, have a peace that doesn't make sense based on your circumstances? How can you be able to love someone when they have just humiliated you? So we zoomed in on those examples. We don't have time to do everything in great detail. But let me ask you this. How can you and I seek to do the very best, the very nicest thing we can think of to the people who have done to us their very worst? How can we do that? What would that look like in your life? The people that you are thinking about right now. Here is just a few reasons why we do this. We said already, God has loved us like this, and that enables us to love others like this. But now Jesus gives us two more quick reasons. Verses 35 and 36. It's a love that rewards, and it's a love that reflects. Look at this as a rewarding love for a second. Kids, if I said right now, we're going to play a game on stage. Just give me a head nod for yes or no. Would you come up on stage? Okay, head nod. Okay, no, okay. Your mom would, she's like, yeah, I would. (laughs) Kids, if I said to you now, we're going to play a competitive game together, and if you win or if you participate, it's anything you want from the ice cream van. Would you come forward? Yeah, amazing. When there is a reward involved, that motivates and inspires us, doesn't it? It makes us want to say, yeah, I'm going to do this. It might be hard. All the adults are going to look at me, and maybe, I don't know, they might judge me or my hair or my clothes. I don't care about that. It's an ice cream van we're talking about, folks. All of a sudden, Jesus puts this little throwaway comment here. Look at it with me. Verse 36. Then... You do all these things, loving your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who ill treat you. Your reward will be great. Your reward will be great. Jesus, could you just expand on that a little bit? Like what exactly? Like if I love my mother-in-law, is there a greater reward? You know, I don't know, something like that. I love my mother-in-law. I told you that the other week, you know. Mother, if you're watching, call her mother. I would love for Jesus to have expanded on that more. But the fact that God says there is a reward is enough motivation for me to go, let's do it. He says there is one. Let's do it. Just two suggestions for you. Imagine this kind of potential earthly reward. You love your enemy. 
and then you are rewarded every time you find it hard with the knowledge, the deeper, more intimate knowledge of what it's like for God to love you. Imagine that for a second. Let me say that again. You're loving your enemy. You're in the middle of it. It's hard. You want to hate that person with all your might. And then all of a sudden, Holy Spirit in your mind, did you know that this is how God should have felt about you, but instead he loved you? And you go, oh, how deep the Father's love is beyond measure. You gain insight. Another earthly reward for you. Imagine for a second that the person who is your enemy, who is so ill-treating you, is loved and one day sits right here next to you and you pass the communion plate to them. Wouldn't that be epic? That would be amazing. Perhaps an earthly reward. One such person was my friend Jordan. And I asked him whether I could share this tonight. But we were in secondary school. We'd all, I'd just become a Christian. And then I told my friends about Jesus. And then some of my friends became Christians. And then he was the dude who was left. And he was, he was the grumpy atheist. He was just grumpy, man. He was so grumpy that we went to his house and he shut the door on our face. Just, just on our face. He's a minister today. And I rejoice. What an earthly reward. We can only think that at the very least, the heavenly reward of being with the Lord is far better. But lastly, this is a distinctive love. This is a rewarding love. This is also a reflecting love. If you know, if you have noticed this evening that some people are sitting with their families, can you just have a look at them right now? It's not your family. Just have a, have a, because I want to ask you this as you look at them, okay? Could you tell that the kids belong to that family if they weren't sitting next to each other? Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Give it some time. Could you tell by spending time with the children that they belong to that family? Spending time with them. Is, are there certain things that a Bruins does? I believe so. I believe so. Yes, I believe so. There are certain things that a Bruins does that you can say, oh, there's a Bruins walking around there. Are there certain things maybe that a Carter does? Or a Craig, or a Mumford, or a Nichols? I could go on. You know? A Roberts, perhaps. Perhaps you might be thinking that there are certain things not about the genetic traits that they inherit, but about the mannerisms, the interests, perhaps even the social awkwardness or the tastes of the family. Perhaps it is when you look at a child doing this <laughs> and you discover that dad does the same thing. Amazing. Don't look over there. Maybe you'll meet the children and you discover they are just as deeply filled with empathy as their parents or some other trait. If someone, kids, teenagers, if someone looked at you and said, ha, you must be a Orlando, whatever, would that please you or would that embarrass you? What do you think? Yeah, oh, some of you are like, I'm on the fence, I don't know. Would it encourage you or would it embarrass you? What do you think? Some of you guys. Now, here's why I'm saying this. Look at how Jesus finishes this passage. 
then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because he's kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. All of a sudden, if you're proud of your family, there's a joy in being recognized as one of them. If God is your heavenly father and someone is able to see the way that you love your enemies and they say, you, are you a Christian? Have you, do you belong to your heavenly father? Wouldn't that be awesome? That'd be epic. Not to be ashamed of, but to know I must be the son, the daughter of the God who is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked, who is merciful. I pray as we finish that others would see in my life, in your life, a love that is distinctive for our enemies, a love that takes our all, that it's Christ-like, that is foreign to the world, a love that is rewarding and that reflects the love of the Father, that reflects that we are His children. Let me finish with this. I was talking with one of our, um, one of you guys, is she here tonight? She's not here tonight, Susanna. Um, and before she was a Christian, she went to an Alpha course in the church. And here's the thing that surprised her the most. She said, these people are serving me a meal. And they're here. And some of these people are quite well off. You know, they make a lot of money. And I asked one of them, why do you guys do this? Like, are you guys, how much are you guys getting paid? And they were like, oh, we don't get paid. We do this. I'm like, but it's, it's a lot of hours. Yeah, I know. We love you guys. <laughs> that made her want to know more about who these children were of the Father and know more about the Father. I want to pray now that this kind of love in our lives would convert an enemy of God 